0: dedicated to making the classics readable relevant and fun each episode we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes as two nerdy bookworms we appreciate the role of classic lit but we won't get too academic about it we'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe and help stock your tbr pile with old and new reads for every literary taste
1: hey chelsea hi sarah How are you today? I'm good. We're talking about one of your favorite books, though, so how are you? I'm very excited. I really enjoyed revisiting
0: Passing this week. I think it's a really, I mean, I think this is a great book no matter when and where you are, but it felt really appropriate to be returning to it this week as... We are in the midst of Black Lives Matter protests and supporting Black lives and Black stories, and I just, I I love this one, and it's a classic. I'd love to see more people pick up, so I'm glad we can be celebrating it today.
1: Definitely, yes, and I know that you have a really strong opinion about including this book in the curriculum, and so as teachers and parents and stakeholders in education systems figure out how to make sure that their curriculum is more inclusive and shares more Black voices. This is a really great title to include, and so I am really looking forward to your take having taught it yourself.
0: Yeah, this one is so good to put in classrooms and so easy. I think a lot of schools and parents and teachers Are hesitant to put in more contemporary books and I have my own issues with that but this is it's inarguably a classic it pairs so well with other classics and it's only a hundred pages so even if you only have two weeks to fit something in you can put this book in so it's it's an easy sell for administrations and really valuable book for
1: students. Perfect well I'm looking forward to hearing more about that but uh, let's just start off by saying that this episode will be mostly spoiler free aside from a brief discussion of the ending because the ending is (laughs) so I mean listeners thought Roman Fever was jaw-dropping but this one is just even better it's so good so I I couldn't we I couldn't survive (laughs) without knowing your thoughts about the ending so (laughs) but uh we will definitely warn you in advance before we get into it we'll talk about it right before we get into the pairings so it's going to be super easy for you to skip ahead if you haven't read this book yet but we'll give you plenty of warning about that so Passing by Nella Larson is a book about two women Claire and Irene who grew up in the same Middle class black community in Chicago, and they come back into each other's lives as adults. Irene is living in Harlem with her husband, a successful doctor, while Claire has left the family and friends of her youth behind to marry a white man and pass as white. Claire and Irene's bond is built on a shared past and a deep mutual affection, but also curiosity and jealousy over the lives each of them might have had. As their lives become more and more intertwined, the tension builds, and a sense of impending doom makes this book impossible to put down. It
0: is such a good one, and I am so grateful to you for telling me that the Emily Bernard introduction in the Penguin Classics edition was unmissable because I have a bad habit of skipping introductions, and because you told me to read it, I did, and she says in, in her introduction... Passing is about the monumental cultural transformations that took place in American society after World War I. It is about changing definitions of concepts like race and gender and the inextricable relationship between whiteness and blackness. It is a meditation on the uneasy dynamic between social obligation and personal freedom. It dramatizes the impossibility of self-invention in a society in which nuance and ambiguity are considered fatal threats to the social
1: order. I so appreciated Emily Bernard's commentary, especially before reading this, because I just felt like it gave me some much, much needed context and um, just as a heads up. If listeners read *Passing* but they don't have the Penguin Classics version, Emily Bernard's introduction is posted online. Um, I think that Electric Lit might have shared it, so I will make sure that we include that link in the show notes so that everybody can read it.
0: Oh, that's good to know.
1: That's awesome. So, Sarah, like we teased a little bit at the beginning, you really love this book, first of all, and second, you have taught it in the classroom, and so I'm really eager to hear about your prior experience reading this book and then what it was like to revisit it now. So
0: I read this book my senior year of college in, a, in my senior thesis class that was called Women and Modernism. And I'd never read anything like this for many reasons. I don't think I'd ever read anything that so frankly discussed not just blackness but whiteness. That was really new for me. And in all honesty, I also don't know if I'd ever read a book for school that was such a page turner like I, I love this about this book it is it is about racism and colorism and class divides in America and it's also just an unputdownable story you have to find out what happens so I I read it then and then a couple of years ago I was teaching a senior elective at my high school, an African-American literature elective. And it was the first time the course was offered, which meant I got to build the course from the ground up. And I immediately knew I wanted to teach this one, both because of all of the themes it covers, also because it focuses on a female friendship, a, a female relationship. And I teach at an all-girls school, so that's really important to me. And the girls loved it. They wanted to read basically the whole thing out loud in class because they loved the language. They loved talking about kind of the gossipy nature of of Irene's narration. Like when she says about, is it Gertrude? Mm -hmm. that she looks like a butcher's wife like that comment (laughs) like she's so snarky and they they loved that and but they also really handled the discussions around race and class really well and they'd all read The Great Gatsby and they loved talking about how they liked this one so much more than The Great Gatsby (laughs) so that was also fun.
1: Yeah we I think it was just the other day that we had a discussion of just Fully replacing the great Gatsby with this, and that you really would not miss out on any themes. All of the same themes, plus more, are in passing. And you still get that thrilling, glittery vibe of the jazz age novel. And I'm I just so prefer this to Gatsby, to be honest. And I really enjoyed reading Gatsby in school and I think I would enjoy teaching it, but this one seems like it could just be the perfect replacement. I totally agree. And
0: the final assessment I gave my students at the end of African-American literature was to choose the three texts that they'd read that semester that they thought should be essential in American literature that all of the students at my school have to take, whereas African-American lit is an elective, and then defend their choices Almost all of them picked this one and now it's in the American
1: lit curriculum so more of our students get to experience it. I love that so much. This was my first time reading this and I absolutely loved it. I mean, I based on what you had said before I knew I was going to, but I I so enjoyed Larson's writing. I wish that there was more of her work to read. I am such a sucker for a book that reads sort of like a play or that could be really good on stage. And this is basically written in three acts and it's very much set up in this theatrical way. And maybe because I was a drama major for a hot minute or (laughs) something like that, I just am such a sucker for a story like that. And as you said at the top of the show, Reading it in this moment was particularly striking. There was one part of the book that just really... um, I read it and I really had to pause and sit with it for a minute. And before we get into anything else, I'll just share that really quick here. But it's toward the end of the book and Brian is Irene's husband and he is talking to their sons about recent lynchings and... Irene is livid that he's telling them about this, and she says, I want them to have a happy childhood. I don't want them to know that this is going on. And he tells her, Irene, they need to know because it could happen to them, and this is their reality as young Black men. And reading that, and this book takes place in, what, 1929? And then thinking about years later, a hundred years later, we're still having the same conversations. That just struck me. And so for anyone who doesn't think that the classics are still relevant, um, this one certainly is. This one is. I was very struck by that, that moment
0: too. And I think it's important in terms of the context of the book that Claire is the character who is fully passing as white but Irene can pass as white and so she's had a very different experience from her husband who cannot pass.
1: Yeah not to get like really into that at the top of the show but that is just something that's really sticking in my mind I'm gonna think about that scene a lot is so well written i think now's a good time to just transition into our first talking point here where we can gush about Noah larson's writing the way that she writes this is all told from irene's perspective we're really in her head but it's so descriptive and the dialogue is so good and there's there's so much tension i just really admire a writer who can make your heart pound the whole time that you're reading a book.
0: I completely agree and it her imagery reminds me a bit of Fitzgerald's and I think part of that is the the setting and and all of that but her use of light and color imagery both to create this really vibrant sense of place but also to I'm sure symbolize a lot of elements of whiteness and blackness that I would love to learn more about is just it's so it's so brilliant one of my favorite lines she's remembering Chicago on a hot day and she writes the automobiles parked at the curbs were a dancing blaze and the glass of the shop windows threw out a blinding radiance sharp particles of dust rose from the burning sidewalks stinging the seared or dripping skins of wilting pedestrians what small breeze there was seemed like the breath of a flame fanned by slow bellows and you can just feel the heat and it's oppressive but also sparkling and glimmering and beautiful and when authors can create that juxtaposition of feeling that's when you know they're doing something really amazing I think
1: Yes, and this novel, it starts out with that fierce summer heat, but it goes through multiple seasons, and her seasonal descriptions are just absolutely incredible. I mean, they make me drool. It's just such good writing. Yes, absolutely. I love Harlem Renaissance literature, and I I need to investigate why a little bit more, but it's just something I'm really drawn to. I really love Langston Hughes poetry and the time period certainly fascinates me, but there is certainly just something about the emphasis of the arts as a means of expression and culture. And there's just something that I really love about the importance of art during that time and the importance of Art when we are talking about race or we're talking about social justice. And so the Harlem setting I found to be such a draw for me in this book. And then, um, but it opens in Chicago and I love to see a Midwest representation, particularly because um, so many of the works about the Great Migration that I've read or just other works by black authors are also set in Chicago and I really like to see the threads connect from past to present. So, I thought it was just interesting to see those two different metropolitan settings in this book.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. I think I always describe this as a New York novel and say it's set in Harlem and it is, but the whole first third does take place in Chicago.
1: Yeah, and it It opens, and the two main characters, Irene and Claire, are escaping the heat, and they go to the Drayton Hotel, and they are both passing, and I think that it's so interesting that at the very beginning of this book, we have both of them passing, Um, whereas in the rest of the book we see the juxtaposition of claire passing versus irene not opening the book that way with the characters in the same position i don't know i just kept kept coming back to it as every time that irene was criticizing claire or every time that she seemed to be longing for what she didn't have i kept coming back to that that at the beginning they were both passing yeah i think
0: I apologize because you and our listeners are probably going to get sick of my Gatsby connections, but I'm mostly making those to convince any teachers out there that you can do all the things you love with Gatsby with passing. But that element, too, reminds me a lot of Nick's narration in The Great Gatsby and how judgmental he is, but he is often doing many of the same things that he's criticizing
1: other people for doing, and
0: Irene has some of that as well.
1: I found the relationship between Irene and Claire to be both infuriating and intriguing. And I know that uh, you really enjoy novels with complicated female friendship. I think I tend to enjoy more like everybody (laughs) wants to hug. (laughs) That's not the case here. (laughs) I still loved it, but... It's, it isn't my usual flavor for books that examine female relationships, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, I think that that's totally fair, and I think that literature and film and entertainment in, gen- in general have veered so far into the mean girl trope that any depiction of a healthy, positive female friendship is something to be celebrated and and lifted up. This one is... Complicated. It's nuanced. It's neither this backstabbing sort of friendship, although that does happen, nor is it this very healthy friendship. It's almost an obsessive friendship. Each woman seems to really, really, truly care about the other, and and Irene talks a lot about loyalty to Claire, which we'll talk a bit more about, um, and. Claire, it's hard to say because she's so effusive and she exaggerates so much, but she does express a constant desire to be with Irene more and that she's thinking about her all the time when she's not with her. And so there seems to be a true connection there. At the same time, I think a lot of their friendship is based on the fact that they each wonder what their lives would have been like if they'd chosen the path that the other did. And so there's this almost jealousy, but it's more like an obsession to figure out who has it better and who made the right choice.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. Yes, they each want what the other has. Irene sort of dreams of this comfortable lifestyle. She would love to, I think, be a socialite, not have to worry about money And the sort of glamorous part of Claire's life, I think, is really appealing to her. And she, like we said, she, at the beginning of the book, is passing to drink tea in this fancy hotel. And we learn throughout the book that she sort of does pass when it's convenient for her. And she has seen how much easier life could be for her if she just passes all the time. And then Claire is really missing a sense of community she is any wrong move could reveal her secret so she has to be really careful about how close she lets people in she's acting all the time um and that's really clear from the beginning that she's an actress which of course you would have to be in her situation her husband does not know that she's passing for white and
0: he's a jackass
1: Um, oh gosh yes we'll get to him (laughs) But um she's really longing for the life that Irene has. And so um yeah, it's it's more than jealousy. Yeah. Obsession's a good way to put it. And I I, I think that's
0: interesting. I mean I I think that suggesting that all female friendships have that layer of jealousy or obsession or even voyeurism would be wrong and and dangerous but i do think that those exist i'm sure they exist between men as well or between genders but i i think that portrayal of oh i really i really care about this woman but i also want what she has Mm -hmm. is really
1: true to life so uh you brought up john uh, claire's husband i hate him He's terrible. I mean, he is, he's just horrible. I I mean, he's supremely overtly racist. And a big, uh, a big moment in the book is when Claire has Irene and a couple of her other friends over. And all of these women are black women passing for white because John doesn't know that Claire is black and he comes in and he starts railing against the black race. And he says terrible things, uses racial slurs. His nickname for Claire is a racial slur. And Irene is so upset. She is shaking. She's furious. And yet she feels like she can't say anything. She feels like she can't stand up to him partly to protect Claire but is she also protecting herself? It's kind of complicated. It's
0: very complicated. That scene is one where you just, you feel so much as a reader when when you get to it. Fury, disgust. Also, like, anticipation of what's going to happen in this scene. And one of the things I... Find so interesting in that scene is that Claire has this kind of smile on her face throughout it. And of course, his racism and slurs must be getting to her. But she also seems to kind of thrive on this adrenaline rush she gets from the danger of her situation. And I also think that, I mean, she calms him down in that, but she uses her femininity. To sort of downplay what he's saying and and calm him down, I think she enjoys
1: that power that she has over him. It's so it's just so complicated. Mm-hmm. It is, and I don't think that as a white reader I can understand all of the nuance of it. Definitely, and I know not. that I didn't. Like I know there's stuff that I just didn't pick up on. Um, but one thing that I was thinking about during that scene when Irene was sitting there and like she was shaking and she was holding it in, that inner fury is really well written in this book. Um, you talk a lot about how fiction and the empathy that it brings can really help us understand outside of our experience. And so that was a a moment of this book where I I was able to feel that, certainly not identically, Um but the way that that's described again just felt so timely and so so modern 100%. One thing that we haven't really touched on is the sensuality and sexuality that really permeates the novel and the relationships. There are a lot of hints about Brian Irene's husband and Claire being involved. There are a lot of descriptions of whether or not the male characters look effeminate or masculine. And then there's also this sort of sexual tension between Claire and Irene where Claire is always kissing Irene when she sort of like comes up behind her and greets her with a kiss, not like on the cheek, but on the shoulder or on the neck, which is a very, like, my friends don't kiss <laughs> on the neck. Like, um... I don't feel like I have the expertise to be able to talk about all of that and unpack it, but it's definitely part of the book. And it's something that I definitely
0: want to read more about. I I know that we talked a lot about that and read about that in my college course, but that's been so long ago and that's something I need to revisit. But I, I find that really, really fascinating. It definitely, she's definitely quite consciously addressing sexuality and sensuality and oh I find Irene and Brian's relationship so interesting. Brian seems to suggest at some point that they're not really having sex anymore or that their sex life has completely plummeted which is a really interesting suggestion because then later in the novel you're wondering okay well irene certainly thinks that brian and claire are having an affair but then you start to wonder as a reader is it really that irene has feelings for claire and she's kind of projecting onto brian her desire for claire there are so many layers to it, and as you said i feel like i i can't even begin to unpack it but this is also another great connection to Gatsby because I for one fully believe that Nick is head over heels in love with Gatsby and that affects his narration of the whole novel and we see some of that here and you can read that thematically. Is Irene's sensual attraction to Claire symbolic of what Claire has or is it literal or is it both?
1: Definitely. Um, There is a lot wrapped up in... Racial stereotypes with sex that Larson is really investigating. I don't feel that I can explain or express that well enough, but I do think that it's easily researchable. And that as you read, that's something that you can look out for in this book. And there are people who are better equipped to talk about that than I am writing about it. But that is something that I would recommend looking up and just um, paying attention to as you read.
0: Yeah. I, I second that. I think this is one that you and I will probably continue reading about and then talking about
1: off mic for quite a while. Most definitely. Before we get into anything else while we're still talking about these relationships, something really fascinating about Claire and Irene's relationship is that Irene is constantly struggling with her loyalty to Claire She questions whether she should be basically loyal to her own race and expose Claire and sort of shun her, or whether she needs to be loyal to Claire because she is of her own race, or whether she needs to be loyal to Claire because she is also a woman. And those questions of loyalty and those questions of class and gender and race all come together with this really fascinating discussion of intersectionality that intersectionality wasn't necessarily a term that was being used at that time but that's definitely what this is
0: yeah absolutely we we didn't talk about how Claire although now she's very wealthy Jack her terrible husband is an investment banker she was one of the poorest people in the community that she grew up in. And so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that Larson, without having that term intersectionality, is portraying and examining the intersections of all of her characters' identities and therefore asking the reader to do the same.
1: I'm listening to what you're saying, but I'm also realizing that I've been saying John this whole time. His name it is. It's
0: John. She calls him does, Jack. Does they say both. Yeah, his like real name is John, and Claire calls him Jack.
1: Okay, I was look. I'm terrible with character names, <laughs> so I was about to fully just apologize for getting it wrong. But okay, now I don't feel so. Silly. Don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I think
0: since we don't know him and we don't like him, we should we call can him John.
1: John. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good idea. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yes to everything that you said, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's... Should we talk a bit about who we think might be interested in picking this up? And then we'll end with our little
1: spoilery conversation about the ending. Yeah, I think that sounds good. Um, You came up with some titles for, like, If You Love This, Then You'll Love Passing that I think are really awesome, but... Yeah, I'm curious to hear what you think about who should pick this up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I went in a different direction with my pairings, but I think that anyone else who enjoys stories about kind of those obsessive, jealous female friendships would really like Passing, and I think those books owe a lot to Passing. Um, so books like The Other Typist by Suzanne Rendell, Tangerine by... Christine Mangan, or Social Creature by Tara Isabella Burton, even stories like about Caroline Calloway, the like fake Instagrammer, or uh, my friend Anna. Anna was the, um, I haven't read this, but it's about a female con artist. If you're interested in those kinds of things, I think you would really enjoy Passing.
1: Yeah, it has that sort of domestic thriller vibe Totally. Also I'm thinking like Leon Moriarty's books that really deal with investigating class and women's relationships but a lot of a lot of those titles that we've suggested I think are by white authors so I I want to be clear about that and be upfront that a lot of books that deal with those obsessive female relationships are about white women. Totally. And there's Something to investigate there. Yeah, I
0: I think this would be a really interesting thing for us to think more about. Also, like if anyone is pursuing their PhD out there, I would love to to read a dissertation <laughs> about white women using these constructs that Nella Larson has kind of invented and and mastered mm-hmm. for their own writing. I feel like maybe we should chat a bit about the ending and then get into our pairings so if you haven't read this one yet in our timestamps in our show notes you'll see where our pairings start and you can just skip ahead to that we'll just quickly talk about the ending which
1: is insane the ending is jaw dropping i i guess it's jaw dropping but i don't think i was Surprised or flabbergasted by it, because you knew that the tension was building to something. And Irene, um I mean, you could tell that. I, I don't know if she was unraveling or if it was like just that her anger was building, and you could tell that it was going to result in something. You just didn't know what. I mean, I think that she pushed Claire. You do. I. That's what I. That, I, I think so my too. First reading. <laughs>
0: I kind of think so, too, although I think I go back and forth. So there is that moment where Irene asks Claire a couple pages before Claire falls from a 17th story window to her death. Irene asks Claire, do you have a plan for what you will do if your husband finds out your secret? And Claire says definitively, yes. And she has her gorgeous smile on. Mm -hmm. And Irene kind of presses her And Claire's like, well, of course, I'm just going to come move to Harlem and live here. And I'm going to be so happy. It's going to be great. But I've always wondered if her yes meant, yes, I, I would have to commit suicide if that happened. And then she was just kind of placating Claire or teasing Claire as she tends to do. So that's half of my brain thinks that. And then the other half is like, well, why does Irene, when John shows up, run over to Claire? And she says, and she puts her hand on her arm. So she's primed to push her.
1: It's certainly an ending where either way totally works. And I'm sure that's intentional. I'm sure like it it works and it works even for irene to maybe think that she pushed her i think and not know that
0: she did it. yeah i think she does think that she pushed her i i think she's like well did she slip and fall or did she lean or did i and then there's like that dash
1: yeah i i really like ambiguous endings maybe that's an unpopular opinion so i i love that it's sort of unclear but also i just really liked the last line where irene kind of like blacks out and as she's coming to it says centuries after which is just an exaggeration she heard the strange man saying death by misadventure i'm inclined to believe let's go up and have another look at that window yeah and if i'm being like really symbolic and english teachery i think let's go up and have another look at that window could very much represent like maybe she was pushed or maybe she fell but let's look at the structures that made it happen oh i Um, love that so much (laughs) That feels a little bit like overanalysis, but no I, no such thing. I really like that last line. More things to think about. Before we get into our pairings, let's talk a little bit about our June partner. So, as we mentioned on our I
0: Capture the Castle episode, we are so thrilled to be partnering with Lauren of Bookshelf Teas for the month of June. Chelsea, you and I both love these shirts. I'm again wearing one today <laughs>
1: <laughs> we just recorded like three days ago, and you were, you were also wearing one then. <laughs> well, they're my favorite
0: shirts. they're the softest, they're the coziest, and I like you know
1: announcing my bookishness to the world. It's true. I'm obsessed with them as well. I think i I don't own every design, but I always have my eye whenever. Lauren announces new designs coming out I always have my eye on them and you're so right they're the comfiest shirts ever but the best part is that they're super nerdy yeah that is the best part
0: so for the month of June you can use the code novel to get 20% off your bookshelf tees order so thank you Lauren for being our June partner we're definitely going to keep buying your shirts
1: Yes, forever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's talk about our pairings. I'm really excited to hear your pairings for this one, particularly because I loved it so much, and it's one of your favorites, and so I'm excited to add to my TBR list. Yeah, I'm excited to hear yours because it seems like
0: you just got so much out of this novel, and I'm just really curious what direction you went. So... I'll, I'll start my first pairing is Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson. We've talked a lot about Jacqueline Woodson on this podcast, but I'm not going to stop anytime soon because she's one of my favorites. So as mentioned, one of my favorite things about passing is the depiction of female friendship. Not that I'm suggesting that Claire and Irene's friendship is healthy by any means, but I still really appreciate Seeing a Relationship Between Two Women at the Center of a Classic Text. Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson is also a book that addresses race, colorism, sexism, and class. But what it's really about is female friendship. So this book is set in Brooklyn in the 1970s and it follows four friends. Our narrator is August and she's recently moved to Brooklyn after her mother goes missing And then we have Sylvia, Angela, and Gigi, who are kind of this trio of best friends who August observes for quite some time before she kind of works up the courage to to join their their little crew. And they meet when they're children, and then it follows them through their teenage years. So they all have very different backgrounds, passions, and ambitions. And just like Claire, they're all hungry. They have dreams and desires. The book is about how friendships fall together and fall apart and how formative friendships are for young people, maybe young girls in particular. It's also about the urgency that comes with being 15 and how you can't retreat into naivete like kids can, but you also don't have practice emotionally coping with things like adults do. I find that depiction to be really true and beautiful. And of course, like all of Woodson's writing, this book is poetic and imaginative and authentic. There are definitely some hard things in here. So if you're a sensitive reader, it wouldn't hurt to seek out content warnings. Although because Woodson's writing is so poetic, a lot of those difficult subjects are kind of vague and that none of them are graphic at all. And I've also taught this book, which I highly recommend. I think teenagers need to see more teenage protagonists in the book they read in school so they know that their lives and stories are important too. And this is a a great one for that. So that's Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson.
1: I haven't read that one yet.
0: You'll really like it. And, And like all of Jacqueline Woodson's books, it's short. And probably great on audio. Great on audio. I don't think she narrates this one, but the reader is still really
1: good. Mm-hmm. all right chelsea what's your first pairing okay my first pairing is my sister the serial killer by Oyinkan braithwaite and i kept thinking about this book as i was reading passing there are so many parallels the struggle of loyalty the examination of gender roles and the obsessive nature of claire and irene's friendship all connect with this nigerian book which is also super short, almost novella length. In My Sister the Serial Killer, Coraday receives a distressing call from her sister, Iola, and she runs to help her immediately. Well, it turns out that Iola has killed her boyfriend and needs help covering her tracks. And this is not the first time that this has happened. (laughs) The title is very literal. Coride struggles with the morality of this, but she ultimately backs her sister and protects her instead of going to the police. But she faces a major dilemma when Iola starts dating the doctor where Coride works, the doctor that Coride has a crush on herself. Iola reminds me of Claire. She's got this seductive way about her. She's gorgeous and she uses her beauty and her feminine wiles to her advantage and to get what she wants. There are so many parallels here. It's tightly written with an impending sense of doom, lots of tension, a strong voice. I listened to this one on audio and I really enjoyed it in that format. And I just think it's so well paired with Passing. I would
0: never have thought of that but I love this book and I love that pairing. I think yeah I I think both like you said have that kind of thriller pace even though they're not
1: exactly a thriller. Love it. There's a lot of um, it's told from I believe it's all from Coride's perspective. I can't remember if it goes back and forth between the two sisters but the narration kind of reminds me of Passing as well and just like constantly processing your thoughts and analyzing right from wrong and it's so good totally oh i love it that makes me want to reread that one and it's super short so i can easily fit it in so true and if you have you listened to the audio version no so that would be a good one if you read it on paper do the audio next time and then that's a good way to reread it great
0: i will well speaking of audio my next pairing is born a crime by trevor noah which must be listened to on audio because Trevor Noah narrates it. 100%. Yes. (laughs) I could listen to him narrate anything. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love him so much. So any book that can balance being poignant and educational and funny is the marking of a great book by my standards. And for anyone who doesn't know, Trevor Noah is a comedian from South Africa and the host of The Daily Show, and this is his memoir about growing up in South Africa, and a lot of it's about his relationship with his mom, which I also love. He grew up during apartheid, and because he is mixed race, his mother is black and his father is white, It was, and it was illegal at this time for black and white South Africans to marry or have children together. His very existence was literally evidence of a crime, and that's where the, the title comes from. And, and he addresses that throughout the, throughout his memoir. So the reason I think this pairs well with passing is because of its discussion of race and power. And so I am saying all of this with the caveat and the full admission that as a white person, it is my privilege to learn about racism rather than experience it. And it's a privilege as. I'm really thinking a lot about this week, it's a privilege to intellectualize race rather than Mm. it being part of my daily experience in a conscious way. Of course, it's Mm -hmm. part of my daily experience because of my white privilege, but as a white person, I'm not required to be conscious of that all the time. So from my own experience and from those of my white students, I think it's difficult for white Americans to understand Sometimes that there's nothing natural about racial categories and that power systems use and change their methods of categorization to preserve power for people who are deemed white. So I know a lot of people are reading anti-racist literature right now, which is great. And that idea that race is a social construct is fundamental to a lot of anti-racist reading and work. But that can be a hard thing to grasp when you've grown up in a country like the United States where race and racism are so fundamental to our nation's founding. Okay, that was long-winded, but all of this is to say that reading about the artificiality of racial constructs in another country can be helpful in that understanding. So in this book, Trevor Noah talks a lot about the way racial categories worked in apartheid South Africa. And because I didn't grow up inside that culture, it was much easier for me to see the way the power structures determined ideas about race rather than them being innate. So that's that's why I think it just pairs so well with Passing because they're really both talking about power and race. And then finally, just going to say it one more time that I love how much he loves and respects his mom. And so while this book really makes you think about race and power, it's also a really sweet and charming read and I I just can't recommend it highly enough
1: it's hilarious too like laugh out loud so funny so
0: funny he's hysterical I love his accent work Mm -hmm. and how many different languages he can speak which comes up in the book
1: it's incredible all right Chelsea what is your second pairing all right my second pairing sorry if Penny's barking in the background here But my second pairing is Black is the Body by Emily Bernard, and there are two essays in particular that I really want to recommend. But as we've said prior in the episode, Emily Bernard wrote the introduction for the Penguin Classics version of Passing, and I just wanted to recommend more of her work. I'm a big fan of memoir in essays. I think it might be like my favorite genre ever, but that's to be determined. (laughs) Um, but I really enjoyed her book, Black is the Body. Two essays specifically come to mind in connection with passing. One is about Emily's experience as a Black woman with white female friends. She writes honestly and compellingly about the struggles of those relationships, and that essay really left an impression on me. And the other essay that really stands out to me with passing is all about her experience with teaching books containing the N-word. Bernard is a professor and she is a black woman, and this essay both makes statements and asks questions. She's really investigating how it feels to teach books that contain the N-word academically, what it means to teach these books. And I just really love that essay. It's it is important to be asking those questions. And any teacher bringing passing into the classroom needs to investigate and plan for how to handle the N-word in the book. You can't just teach it and not have a conversation about it. So I I love this collection of essays also because reading one memoir by a Black woman is never enough. You have to read Many because there's no single black experience. I read this shortly after reading *Eloquent Rage* by Brittany Cooper, and found *Eloquent Rage* and *Black Is the Body* to be, in some ways, really contrasting one another, in some ways echoing one another. And it's just really vital for me as a white woman to read and remind myself that black people are not a monolith, and that's not something that I came up with myself. That's like a phrase that has been said before me um there's no single black experience and I think that that really comes across in passing as well I really loved black is the body in particular the essays you mentioned all right what is your final pairing okay I know what your final pairing is (laughs) I shouldn't even ask I'm just gonna say I'm really excited about your final pairing have you read it yet (laughs) no it's sitting on my nightstand I wanted to read passing first and I'm going to pick this one up next. Okay, good. So this is probably the one that everyone who follows new
0: releases has been waiting for us to talk about. And even though Chelsea hasn't read it yet, I know she's going to love it. So I'm going to say that this pairing is from both of us. And it is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. So The Vanishing Half just released this June. It's Britt Bennett's second novel. The Mothers, which we paired with Beloved, is incredible and amazing and she wrote it when she was really, really young, which always is exciting as a reader because you're just like, I can't wait to see what this author has in store for us over the course of her career. And The Vanishing have definitely lived up to and I think even exceeded The Mothers. Not that it's a contest, they're both fabulous. But This book follows two 16-year-old twins, or 16 at the onset of the novel, Stella and Desiree, who flee the close-knit Black community where they've been raised to experience the broader world. They go to New Orleans. Their town, Mallard, in Louisiana, is so small you can't even find it on a map. And both twins feel stifled by the lack of options they, they think their community holds for them. Years later one of the twins ends up back in that very community with her daughter while the other twin vanishes again passing as white and leaving her sister and her past completely behind her like in a in an irrevocable way the book then follows both women across decades to tell the story of how stella and desiree are forever linked even when their lives and their entire worlds are unimaginably different. This book is absolutely spectacular. The story is riveting and suspenseful, much like passing, and Bennett manages to impart that same sense of impending doom, but also, differently from passing, I think, the possibility of hope through the whole story. Her writing is also arresting, and I mean that literally. Like, I kept stopping to reread sentences and mostly I think the best thing I can say about this book and and something I love about literature in general is I I I just love how Bennett tells such a singular and specific story that unpacks so much broader questions about race in America as well as just the innate human desire for acceptance and
1: belonging there i forget exactly where it was published i want to say the cut but we can put a link in the show notes but um there is an excerpt of the vanishing half out on the internet so you can preview it if you're waiting for your copy or if you just want a taste of brit bennett's writing before you pick it up yes that's a great idea all right what is your final pairing chelsea okay uh my last pairing is a middle grade novel And it is The Only Black Girls in Town by Brandy Colbert. And this middle grade novel offers an alternative take on Black female friendship compared to passing. I wanted to include a joyful book that celebrates two Black girls navigating life and really rooting for one another. So Alberta is, I believe they're 12. Alberta is a black surfer girl and she lives in California and she's used to being the only black girl in town. But when Edie moves in nearby, Alberta is excited to have a fellow black girl to navigate life and school with. Alberta and Edie could not be more different. Edie is from New York and she grew up with a lot of diversity around her. And Alberta is into surfing, whereas Edie is a little bit goth. But these two girls have each other's backs and there's also an interesting historical subplot that especially connects to passing. The girls find these old journals and go on a quest to discover a secret story between the pages, but I don't want to spoil that. You'll have to read and find out exactly how that connects to passing. But this book deals with race and the importance of friendship and the importance specifically of Black female friendship in such an excellent way as sometimes only middle grade can. But uh, yeah, I just have to tease again. There is a really interesting connection to passing that I I don't want to get too into here.
0: I like your vagueness on this one. It's definitely got me hooked. (laughs) I'm going to pick that up. All right so before we wrap up we're going to share our picks of the week so our other media that we think will enhance your reading and appreciation of passing and
1: Chelsea what do you have for us this week? I have a podcast recommendation. I really enjoy the podcast You Must Remember This. It is about old Hollywood and classic film and this podcast Podcast episode in particular that I'd like to recommend is Passing for White, Merle Oberon. And it is all about an actress who was from Bombay. She's mixed race and Asian, but she passed for white in order to be in movies in Hollywood. And I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. But in that same series or season, you must remember this is like broken up into thematic seasons there's an episode called vanessa williams whitney houston and hollywood's misogynoir problem and it's all about colorism and racism and tokenism in hollywood and it's a good follow-up to the episode on passing and this is like a little bit of homework (laughs) if you love old hollywood you need to look up freddie washington that's f-r-e-d-i To read her story she played a passing woman in the film Imitation of Life but in her real life although she could have passed for white she refused to do so and she was a really important activist. I had never heard of her prior to doing research for this episode which is just a shame so I would like people to look up Freddie Washington and learn about her. With this mention
0: of Hollywood, we have not mentioned that Passing is going to be a movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I haven't seen any recent news about it, but I know Tessa Thompson was signed on, and I mean, certainly it would make a great film. Yes, absolutely. I I haven't heard anything, any updates,
0: but the last I looked at it had said 2020 release, but I have a feeling with COVID, that's probably going to get pushed back. But still, Read Passing so that you can go into the movie um, having, having already read the novel. Perfect. All right, what is your pick of the week here, Sarah? So my pick is 13th, which is the documentary by Ava DuVernay, which is streaming for free on Netflix. And this might feel like a bit of a stretch, but this documentary is about the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which makes slavery illegal except in the case of legal punishment. And it looks at the long-lasting impact of that law, which has basically criminalized blackness in America. And it set us up for this era of mass incarceration that we're currently living in. So I thought about this documentary a lot while reading, especially Chelsea and the scene that you talked about, where Brian is explaining lynchings to to his sons Mm. but there are other moments where even the women feel like they have to contain um themselves to to stay safe so i i i really saw some connections here and even though passing isn't about the legal system or about policing of black bodies those realities still impact the characters lives they're still present in the novel and I'll also add that I only just watched this for the first time this week and I'm disappointed in myself for not having watched it sooner. But if you're feeling any shame over not having watched it yet, don't don't feel shame. Just add it to your Netflix queue. It's a really important watch for every American.
1: Mm, that's a
0: really good recommendation. All right. Well, I feel like ending with 13th ends on a very serious note but I have so enjoyed talking about Passing With You. It's just it's so great to find a book where you can discuss a crazy ending but also get into discussions about race and class and gender. This book just
1: has so much to offer a wide variety of readers. Absolutely and In our show notes, we will also link to some own voices reviews of this book because I think that it's important to share those voices. And um, there are some really good ones to read, particularly Reggie Reads on Instagram has an incredible review of passing up on his feed. Yeah, I love Reggie
0: Reads review so much. And he talks about the connections between Claire as a character to
1: a few other characters in black literature. Such a great review. We will link to that in the show notes. And for more classic lit enthusiasm and podcast news, we would love to see you on Instagram or Twitter. You can find us at Novel Pairings Pod. And we would also love to know whether you pick up Passing or any of the books that we mentioned today. So if you post about those, please tag us. We're still a fairly new podcast, and we so appreciate your support to spread the news. We would love for you to tell your friends about the Novel Pairings podcast. We love when you share a favorite episode in your Instagram stories. And, of course, writing a review on Apple Podcasts is a great way to help new listeners find us. We'll be back with an episode on
0: The Odyssey by Homer very soon. We declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything...